you, thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Joshua, chapter 3. We're going to read together there in just a moment. I love this passage of Scripture. I'll say that a lot because I have a lot of passages of Scripture that I love. But this is a great story in the Bible. And uh, let's read in Joshua, chapter 3. Oh, let me tell you what's coming up the next couple of weeks. I'll be gone the next two Sundays. I'm, we'll be in Israel and, uh, or on the way back from Israel. And next week, Obi Dalrymple, our pastor of young adults, is preaching. And the next week, Skip Leininger, uh, our associate pastor, will preach. They'll do great, and I'm delighted that they're going to be here. And then the next week after, the next week after that, is, that's November the 6th, I'm starting a series of messages. I'm going to preach all the way through the book of Revelation. And I hope you'll come to that very first one, November 6th. It's also the time change, the one where you get the extra hour of sleep. And I like that one. That's a really, I mean, I don't like it that it's dark so early, but I like it for the first day. And use that extra hour well and go to a life group. Could I encourage you to go to a life group and connect with that? You'll study the Bible. You'll get connected with other people. I met a couple uh, earlier this morning that was going to a life group for the very first time. They're newer to our church, going to a life group. I love that. I want to commend it to you as well. Well, let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3, and I'm going to read beginning with verse 14, and it's the story of Israel has been in captivity. They get to the brink of the promised land, you may remember, across the Red Sea and dry ground, the miracle of God. They get to the brink of the promised land at Kadesh Barnea, and they turn back in fear, and then they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, and now they're back at the brink of the promised land and stand at the shore at the at the uh, bank of the Jordan River, swollen Jordan River. Let's read beginning with verse 14. The Bible says, When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season, but as soon as the priests carrying the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam a city next to Zarethan. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, and the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Choose twelve men from the people one man for each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing, carry them with you, and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and said to them, go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them. The water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. Well, let's note some lessons from this passage. I'm calling the 12 stones, this message, the 12 stones. And a little of what those 12 stones mean and what, what they represent and why they ought to matter to us and why they ought to be important to us. So let's note three principles, and you can write on the back of your worship guide. You can uh, write those notes or on the church app. Let's note these three things together. Number one, we have to take a step of faith. We have to take a step of faith. So the Bible tells us in this story that the people are uh, at the 
at the bank of the Jordan, and they need to cross the Jordan in, in order to get into the promised land, the land they've been waiting to enter for all of these years. While they wandered in the wilderness, many times they must have thought, I can't wait till this wandering is over and we're in the promised land. And they finally get there, and there's this swollen river. And the Lord tells them to cross it. And God is going to provide this great miracle, much as he did in the Red Sea when they crossed on dry ground. God provided the miracle they needed, and God is going to do that again. But it, the water doesn't stop until the priests step into the river. And when they take that step, when they finally by faith take that step of, of faith and trust God, the water stands still and piles up behind them, and the people all cross on dry ground. The Bible says the people broke camp camped across the Jordan and the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. We'll talk about the Ark of the Covenant in a moment. And they had to take the step. The priests had to take the step before the water would stop. I just want to note a couple of things here. Would you know, first of all, we learn from our past because this isn't the first time Israel's been in this position. And God tells us the stories of the Bible, not just so we know what happened a long time ago, but he wants us to learn for today. And God tells us the past so we can learn for today. In fact, the past in your life, you can't change one thing about your past, right? Not one thing. But you can learn from your past, and you can benefit from it. And God will use it in your life to help you to have a better tomorrow. And God wants you to experience something of the victory. Even the victories of your past could be a means by which you build to greater victories in the future. And Israel had been right at this same place long years before, 40 years prior. You remember the story, perhaps, if you, if you know it's a great story. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. God provides for them. They uh, leave Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground, this great miracle of faith. They watch as God does all the miracles of the plagues in Egypt, and then God provides the miracle of crossing the Red Sea. They get all the way to the brink of the Promised Land. They come to this place called Kadesh Barnea, and they send 12 spies into the land, not to decide if they should obey God, but to consider the best way to take the promised land God has already promised them. But instead, all the spies come back and say, man, it is exactly as God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, there's just great potential there. But 10 of the, of the spies said, we can't do this. The people are too mighty. The cities are fortified. The armies are too great. We can't do this. Despite all the miracles that God had provided in the past, they doubted, and they feared, and they turned back. And for 40 years, God had them wander in the wilderness while a generation was wasted. It's a common story. And there are many of us who failed to learn from our past. And we can't change anything about our past. Not one thing can we change. We can't live in the past, no matter how hard we might try. but we can learn from the past. And so they come to the brink of the promised land a second time. And I want you to note, not only do we learn from the past, but we remember God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant is with them. The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. You may remember it was in the, uh, in the tabernacle for all those years, for 369 years, I think it was in the tabernacle was in Shiloh. I'll go see Shiloh while I'm in Israel. I look forward to seeing that place where the presence of God was represented. And then they moved the Ark of the Covenant to the temple, the permanent place, and that was in Jerusalem on the 
on the mountain in Jerusalem, and the Ark of the Covenant was there in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. You may remember that there was a day called the Day of Atonement, and the Day of Atonement was the one day a year when the high priest and the high priest only could come into the Holy of Holies, and it could come with the sacrifice of an animal, and it would sprinkle that blood on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and that top was called the mercy seat. And it represented to the people that God looking down from heaven would see them not through the Ten Commandments, which was in the Ark of the Covenant, but instead, and they'd broken the Ten Commandments. They had lit, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But instead, to see the sacrifice made and the forgiveness that came through atonement. And of course, Jesus is for us. I want you to get this. This is an important lesson for you to know. Jesus is our mercy seat. How can we come into the presence of God? How can we be forgiven of sins? You won't go to heaven because you've never sinned or because you've never done wrong. The Bible says all of us have sinned and all of us have done wrong. But Jesus took our place. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, the perfect life. And he was worthy to die the death we deserved on the cross. He died in our place and he provided the miracle we need in the resurrection. So that the Bible says when God looks at us, when we trust Christ as Savior, repent of sin and give our life to Christ. Christ looks at us not through the law that we have broken, the sins of our life, but through the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf and we receive God's mercy, his forgiveness. Boy, that's an incredible thing, isn't it? To think that God would forgive us and love us. I hope you never get over that. And those of you who have not trusted Christ as Savior yet, I'm praying even today you'd give your life to Christ. And Christian, don't ever, like, don't ever lose sight of how big it is that God would love us like that. And so the Lord said to Israel, I'm with you. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. He said, I want you to take a step of faith and step into that swollen Jordan River and watch the provision I'll make for you. So I've been here for a little over 27 years now, but uh, before that, I was for 10 years, I was, at, I was a pastor at First Baptist Church of Corinth, Texas, before I came back to, the, to my home state here. And when I came to uh, the church at Corinth, said, man, we had a wonderful 10 years there. We loved the church. It was a very small church when we came, uh, 19 people our first Sunday. We had a small building, and we had one acre of land, actually slightly under, just under one acre of land. But the property was on the, a great location. It was right on the interstate, 35E, for those of you who know that North Dallas area, and um, right at the exit from the interstate, which couldn't have been a better location but just an acre of land, just, as I said, slight land or an old building. And so we began to grow, and uh, it didn't take long till that building was full. And parking, of course, is the real problem when you have l less than an acre of land. I mean, just had problems right off the bat. And, and the, there was 10 acres next to us that was just open, vacant land, beautiful spot for us, right connected to us. But they were asking a quarter million dollars per acre, per acre for that property all the way back those years ago. We offered uh, later as we grew and just eventually we'd have to relocate, but we offered uh, uh, $100,000 for the acre, not even those 10 acres behind us, not even on the interstate, and they wouldn't even talk to us about it. And if, so um, eventually the church would relocate. Well, not long after I'd been there, maybe a year or two after I'd been there, um, we had our 100th anniversary as a church. And some of the old pastors came back for this special event. And I sat in my car, or maybe it was his car, with the old pastor telling me about what had happened years ago. He said, he said to me, do you see the, 
10 acres next to you? And I said, yeah. And he said, wouldn't that have been great to have been able to get? And I said, yes, what a difference it would make. I mean, we're already at a point where we just hardly knew what to do with the space needs. And he told, us, he told me this story. He said, whatever it was, like 15 years earlier, he said, uh, there was a, the man who owned the property was friendly toward our church. And he offered to sell it to us for $25,000. Not $25,000 per acre, $25,000 for the 10 acres. And he said, the pastor said, we had the money on hand in the bank. And I said to the church, man, we need, we need to buy this land. And the congregation said, let's save it for a rainy day. And the pastor said, it's pouring rain. Don't you see that the Dallas suburbs are moving out this way? Man, they've long since swallowed up Corinth and everything around it. It's a huge, huge metropolitan area now. It's coming this way. We'll never have this opportunity again. So that I came 15 years later, and the church had gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and no money left. Eventually, we have to relocate. By the way, that property is today a Harley-Davidson dealership. That's what it is today. And man, Harley's great, wonderful. But I tell you, it's not a lighthouse for the, for the message of the gospel. They're not there helping people know who the Lord is and His purpose and plan for their lives. And I'm telling you, every, sometimes God just says to us, I want you to step out in faith. Sometimes God says that to a church. Sometimes God says that to an individual. I want you to trust me. It's one thing to say Jesus is Lord, and we ought to say Jesus is Lord. The basic confession of our faith is Jesus is Lord, but it's another to put that into practice. And sometimes God says, I want you to sing it, yes. I want you to say it, of course, but I want you to live it. I want you to trust me by faith and to take steps of faith. And there are these moments in life where you decide, maybe it's a new job, maybe it's a new opportunity, maybe it's a change in your life, maybe it's a change in the stage of your life where God is saying, I want you to step out in faith. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe me. I want you to step into the water, and, and I, then I'll provide. But you take that step of faith. Principle number two, we each have a part to play. We each have a part to play. So in chapter 4, verses 1 and one through 5, the Bible tells a story about the nation crossing. And, and the Lord says, he spoke to Joshua and said in verse 2, choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, Take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down in the place where you spend the night. He said, I want each of you to take a stone, take, take a stone and put it on your shoulder, Joshua said, and you put it where we are going to spend the night. I want you to make a memorial there. And so each man had a part to play. I mean, no other tribe had to re, was responsible for the other tribe. They were just responsible for themselves. And by the way, you're not responsible for anyone else, but you are responsible for you. Like you can't play any, you can't play the part or the role or the, take the place of anyone else in all the world. You can only be what God made you to be. You can't be what God made me to be, and I can't be what God made you to be. The Bible describes us like the body of Christ, and we each have a part to play. And I can't play your role, and you can't play mine. We have a different role to play. All of us have that. All of us have a part to play. The church is made up of all of us. By the way, have you ever noticed how in the Western world, we often look at the church sort of like a, like a 
arena at a football game or something where we're in the stands and we watch the guys who are in ministry and we just sort of clap for them or boo or whatever. Did you notice there was a game last night, Alabama and Tennessee. Tennessee hadn't won in a long time. Tennessee won. And the fans came out of the stands and they just covered the field, tore down the goalposts. Gold post, poor Tennessee. I don't know how they'll ever afford to pay for those gold posts again. I, I probably would just stop playing football altogether now. Man, I mean, the fans came out. I mean, just came out of the stands. Spiritually speaking, that's the metaphor God has for us. Come down from the stands. It's not like I'm going to watch those guys. All of us are in ministry who name the name of Christ. We all are on the field. We all have a part to play. And I can't play your role and you can't play mine. There are probably just a few of you here, not very many, just a few of you who will remember uh, Virginia and Mildred Badgley. Now, not very many in this service will remember them, but they were a part of FBCO for a long time. In fact, Virginia and Mildred lived in downtown O'Fallon. They lived in the same house. One of them was two years old when they moved there. The other lived there her whole life. There were two sisters, never married, stayed in that same home, all their life and their father had been real active in the church grandparents there they could trace their lineage back to david badgley who was the first baptist pastor in the state of illinois and that was their connection well they loved the church and they loved me and and uh, prayed for me often and they did their part they did not they never had much money they were um long retired by the time i got here they've been retired for a long time when i came here long ago and but they tithed. I mean, they cared about the ministries of the church. When we did building programs, they were the first ones to make commitments, the first ones to give. They, for, for some reason, they loved the academy. We started, the, we have a K-12 through academy. Our church uh, owns and runs. And so when we started the academy, we started with just the kindergarten, and the Badgley sisters just loved it. Though they never had children of their own, never married, never had children, but they loved the academy, and they so they wanted to help in some way, and they found out we had, um, like, recycling for newspapers. Do you know what newspapers are? You remember the newspapers? How they used to have the print, you know, before the Internet days? I know it sounds kind of funny, but you could recycle paper. We still do that here. And the academy in those days, got was they were the beneficiaries of it. So the Bachelor sisters would save their newspapers, and they'd come up just to give that paper so they get the, the academy to get a few pennies from it and they just love that they could do that when they passed away they left their estate a, their small estate but they left it to the church for the benefit of the academy though they never had children of their own and i just thought man they did their part i mean it's just a it's just a different way of looking at the world and they, they you know they could not do the part of anyone else but they did their part and i just tell you i couldn't do their part i just have mine we each have a part to play. Principle number three. We leave a legacy behind. We leave a legacy behind. So verse six says, uh, so why would we do this? Why do you pick the stone on your shoulder and carry it? So that, verse six says, this is the reason, so that this will be a sign among you. This is going to teach you something. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? I mean, these just look like normal stones. What, what, does, it, what does this mean? Why are they here? You should tell them. The water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark 
of the Lord's covenant. And when it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. They remind us of what God did. They remind us. First Baptist Church of Corinth would eventually relocate and build buildings, those first buildings. When I go back to see those, that original building, the first couple of buildings that I was a part of, man, I just remember God worked here. And God's continuing to work there. And they're on mission there now and sharing the good news of the gospel in the second century of their existence. FBCO, our buildings here did not grow up like mushrooms. People sacrificed and gave and people built those buildings. It reminds us, those of us who have been here while they were built, it reminds us that God moved and that we trusted God in big ways and God did big things. I can't help but think of some of those who have gone before us, and I sort of hate to say names, and I know most of you won't know a lot of these names, but I hate to leave people out. There's so many. The Badgley sisters I mentioned, or the Leiningers, or the Woodsides, or Jack Strickland. For those of you who remember Jack Strickland before he passed away, now it's been 26 years ago about that Jack Strickland passed away. He had to bribe people to be, to be uh, cowboy fans. That was one of his. He was from Texas, and he loved the cowboys. Or some of the former staff here, like Darlene Leatherwood, or Larry Richmond, or pastors before, like Gary Claybrook, or Lloyd Jones. People who left the legacy behind, and who, who point us to the faithfulness of God and how we can trust him in big ways and I love that we can do that so I want to make application sometimes the message teaches us something God gives us his word for a reason I want to make application and I'm gonna do it by calling my friend Obi Dalrymple up here Obi will you come up here for a moment Obi Dalrymple is our pastor to young adults in our church and uh, he's going to be preaching next Sunday by the way no don't clap for him it goes to his head it is terrible about this embarrassing how we it says, no, Obi is a great, great guy, and he's preaching next Sunday, so if you're going to pray, you want him to pray for you, I suppose. Obi, is that fair enough? You want him to pray for Are you going to preach great. from the Bible? I am going to preach from the Bible. Oh, I feel so much better because I would have hated to have to say in front of all these people, sorry, uh, Obi's out, but now you're still in. <laughs> so how did you end up at FBCO to begin with, Obi? So I came here uh, years ago as a young airman. I was at Scott Air Force Base. And came here and... Then got, did you get called to ministry here? I did. I yes, was, you did. You sure did. I was ordained did here. Did you, you were ordained here? Did you, what, did, what was, your, was your first ministry job here? I was your intern. Yes, you were. By the way, it's like, he did like research for me and stuff. Like how many, like two hours, like two hours a week or something like that? Or I think you paid me $100 a month. So okay. So I, like I said, the last service, they thought, oh, Obi, all he did was research for me. No, the sermons would have been a lot better had, I, had it been. What, so what did I tell you about good sermons and bad sermons, Obi? Uh, that it was, uh, if they were really good, it was your fault. If it was really bad, it was probably my fault. Oh, that's, what, that's what I would say. Though it's, you obviously didn't research this sermon, did you? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you shouldn't answer that. Don't answer that. I won't. Obi, I'm excited for you preaching next week and love that you, God has... Uh, had you in our church in these ways and the significance of it. So Obi and I are going to like apply the message to a situation here. So I'm going to ask some questions. Obi will ask some questions. We're just going to do a little, all right, you ready to go? Ready. ready for question number one? Like, look at it again. Oh yeah. So Obi, I've been teasing about something coming up for the last few weeks, a uh, kind of a big thing. I said, mm -hmm. so what is it? It is that we are finally in a position to build the new gym that we have long planned for 
as well as to do some much needed remodels in the worship center and beyond places like the main level bathrooms. Uh, so we're in a position to do those things. Which is kind of exciting, isn't it, to think about. So we planned that building a long time, the, what we call the double gym. We planned it some time ago, but you just haven't been able to do it to this point. And so very exciting to think about. Anyway, now you're supposed to ask the question, I think, Obi. That's right. It's my turn. Come on. Don't mess up. So to help people kind of understand the why behind the project, would you kind of speak to the needs of why we're okay. doing this, why we're considering the new building? So I'll speak to the double gym and then the renovations because those are both uh, needs for us. So the double gym we planned some years ago, and part of it is uh, there are needs that you might not see in a normal, even on a normal Sunday. We have weekday ministries that happen here, like every day there's uh, through the week, there's women's ministry that meets for Bible studies here, and um, the senior adult luncheons that are here, or Creation Corner that meets here, uh, our preschool program, or First Baptist Academy, or K-12 through uh, school that we own and run here, or um, YAs. We, the YAs stand for young adults. We're super clever with acronyms here. The YAs for young adults, how would it affect them, by the way? Yeah, so... People may not know when we meet for our young adults, so we meet every Thursday, and we meet in the Kids Life Center. Now, if you just heard that, this is how I introduce our young adults here know that when a new person comes, one of the first things I say is, yeah, our young adults meet in the Kids Life Center. Now, the kids have been extremely accommodating, the Kids Life staff extremely accommodating, but the best place for us is actually our current gym. But because there's so many midweek ministries, we've been moved out of that. And so this would enable us to move back. So these are the kind of things that matter, you know, the big events, et cetera, that matter for this building. But I said two things, and the others are renovations. So we've known that we're going to have to do some renovations here. And I, I, not that long ago, I was calling this the new worship center, but it's well over 20 years old now. And um, so, so things like the sound system, which is, well, we have to have, we depend upon it. But it's 14 years old now. We're glad we have it. I hope it gets uh, some more time out of it. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's 14 years old, and we know that day's coming. And the carpeting in our gym, we know we're going to, I mean, in our worship center, rather, we know we're going to have to uh, replace and fix that. Or the bathrooms around the outside, which are just sort of semi-pathetic, but that just costs a lot of money, just the reality of it. Or uh, projectors for the screen, or parking lot things. I mean, there's just a long list of things that we know we have to do. And so those two things together are part of um, some of our needs. So, the, you know, these are obviously important, including like the guy's bathroom is, is really atrocious sometimes. But uh, what's kept us from doing these projects up to this point? Well, really a couple things. Uh, one is money, you know, just we couldn't afford to build. That's why we didn't build to this point our, what I'm calling the double gym. It's about two size of the current gym's floor space. That's why I call it double gym. But um, also, just because I was just did not believe we ought to go into any more long-term debt So uh, for this project. So we have, our debt is $3.65 million. Our church budget, not counting the, some of the ancillary ministries here, the church budget is 3.8. So we're actually, our debt is lower percentage-wise than it's uh, been, we think, since we've been on this property for these decades, but it's still $3.65 million. I mean, it's still a significant amount of money, and we just don't want to add that. We don't have to pay interest when we can use that for ministry. In fact, we'd like to continue to chip away at that debt so that we can use those things for ministries. And so that double combination of not having it on hand and not wanting to go to long-term debt was the problem. I remember saying to my wife, um, like last year, I said, 
to Vicky. So Vicky's my wife, by the way. I guess you understood that. Met her. Yeah. So Vicky said, I said, uh, I don't see how we, I, don't, I just don't see how we do this. I mean, it just, it just seems this is something the Lord wants us to do. We ought to do. Well, I'll see how we do it. I don't have the money going long-term debt. Unless there was some unusual thing. Unless so, something unusual happened. So what is that unusual thing that happened? An unusual thing happened. And uh, really two things that were sort of unusual. One is, there's a guy in our church who wants to remain anonymous, which I love that about him. I love that he wants to be anonymous about it, who uh, is giving, who loves the church and he loves the academy. He believes in Christian education. He believes that the Christian education in this generation matters more than it ever has. And um, so he's committed to give $1.1 million. And that's a, you know, that's a helpful thing for us. Yeah. And then it's not me, by the way. It's not me, by the way. It might be Obi though. No, it's not Obi. If we, if it were you, we'd really be overpaying you grossly. So <laughs> it's not me. So the second thing was really the last couple of years, we've always tried to be careful with how we spend money and, uh, We've received more money than we spend always. We try to be just careful on that end. But in COVID, how would we know what would happen? And we less people, but God's people were faithful. We have a generous church. And so we gave um, more than we, res- than we spent for the last couple of years. This last year, budget, our budget year ends at the end of June. We received a quarter million dollars more than we spent. And that's money that we can use through this project. And those things, just we would not have guessed that. A year ago, when Vicky and I were talking about this, we were not said, "Oh, yeah, that's obviously how we'll do it." I, we couldn't see that. Oh, your I think turn. I'm supposed to ask you a question now. Oh, yeah. So, uh, can you show us, Obi, some details of the new building and renovation plans and how we can pay for it? Well done. Well Thank done. You. Thank you. Uh, so, first, I'll show you kind of the math problem behind it. And so, you can see on the slide, the upper right-hand corner is the 3.6 million. So, that's the anticipated cost. Just, that's for the gym. That's just not including the, the renovation. Correct. So, yeah. So, first, we'll talk about just the, the double gym. So, 3.6 million is up there in the upper right. Now, if you look toward the left, you can see the 1.1 million that is gifted to FBCO for this project. And then we have 1.4 million on hand. And so this has come from uh, several places, including what you just mentioned, giving above and beyond, uh, but also just budget, uh, that we underspent budget. Um, so several things like that. Delayed, we delayed some of the things we could have spent on capital needs, of course, and that's why we'll have to address that more. And then and a, the previous campaign. And so the previous campaign was for this building. And so we still have uh, that money uh, waiting. Mm-hmm. And so then the next one is $250,000. And so that is going to be given by First Baptist Academy. So they're making a contribution to this project. And then that leaves around 850000 so maybe a little less uh, to get to that $3.6 million figure. And so uh, that, that $850,000, we're kind of saying that um, we're raising this to spend it. And the reason that we don't have to go into long-term debt to get that 850000 is that First Baptist O'Fallon has that in their contingency fund. So instead of borrowing it, we're essentially borrowing from ourselves. And so we'll borrow from ourselves, but we'll need to pay that back to have a contingency. Just say a word about contingency, too. So we think we ought to be good stewards of the money God puts in our hands at every level, how we spend it, how we think about it, how we plan. And a contingency is a healthy thing for a church to have because of unforeseen events that take place. You never know when a sound system goes out, et cetera. You have, just have to be prepared for those sorts of things. And so we try to be wise about it. We want to think long term. We really believe that that's the right way for us to do it. But by doing that in the past, it allows us to borrow from ourselves and then to 
of course, to pay it back. So then part of the giving will be to pay that back so we can have a contingency. But that's only part of the project because what we mentioned at first is it's not just the building. It's also to remodel the worship center and other things around the campus, such as the bathrooms. And so uh, we believe that that project is going to be one million and probably a little more. So that'll bring the total of this campaign to around two million dollars. So that's the hope that we're going to have to raise. Um, and so then I want to show you kind of the new gym. Well, let me say a word before you turn there, too. So we're just going to wait on projects until we receive money. Like we want to um, make it on the sound system, Lord willing, until we can have the money or replacing carpeting or doing the atrocious bathrooms. So as we receive it so that we don't go into so that we receive the money and spend it rather than borrowing. Right, right. All right, so we'll go to the next slide, and we'll show you kind of the, the top-down or kind of the, the footprint That's of a little our small, OB. I just noticed that's a little it's bit a on little the small, small side. Um, but it is quite detailed uh, map of our campus. And so the bottom of the picture, that's where you'd be at Highway 50. So you can see the campus <coughs> as if you're coming up from Highway 50. So um, that new, Oh, there's a, oh, hey, whoa. I didn't know they were going to do that, so that's exciting. Uh, so you can see the new South Double Gym. That is really the first building you would see as you came up the uh, driveway from 50. The KLC, that's Kids Life Center. And so where it's going is on the pavement, what's currently pavement next to the Kids Life Center. We're not changing any buildings, but that parking lot part comes so off. So we'd tear out that parking lot and build a building over it. All right, so you can go to the next slide. So this is um, the picture. The top one is what you would see from Highway 50. And so you can see it's actually kind of two buildings. On the right is the double gym. And on the left, there's a single story building that we're going to hope will be used for life groups and other things like that. But they're connected together. And then on the bottom, the picture is what you would see from what we currently call our main entrance. I don't know if we'll be able to continue to call it so the main entrance. Our problem is the main entrance is sort of in the back now. You know, seven, when I came, there was no Seven Hills Road even. I mean, you can see why things had to kind of reconfigure over the time. But the main entrance is sort of in the back, and when we build that building, it'll fill even more in the back. We'll probably change that to east entrance at some later date, but nonetheless. So with the top picture, I'll try to help you walk inside this with your mind. If you see the building there, the left side where you have the doors there that you would enter in through, that's coming through Highway 50. So then we'll go to the next slide. So then on the bottom left, that entryway, that's those doors I was just pointing to. So that's what you'd come into uh, if you're coming from Highway 50 and you walk into this. It's actually a pretty large room. It's, I think it was 36 by 55, something almost like that. Almost the size of the chapel, not quite, almost the size of the chapel. So just another large room for our church to be able to do things like, um, like life group functions, things like that. Um, and so there's all sorts of uh, other rooms there in that, such as a concession stand, uh, bathrooms, things like that. And then to the right, you see what we're calling the double gym. And you may say, well, why is it a double gym? Uh, because I just see one gym there. But both of those half courts are almost the size of our current court. So you'd be able to really use it like a double gym. For instance, you could have two volleyball practices going on at once. You could have two basketball uh, practices going on at once. So, um, so it's a, a very large facility there. Now it's my turn. Your turn, Obi. All right, so what are we asking of the people of FBCO? We're asking people to pray about giving above and beyond their normal giving to the church and to the budget. So let me just mention a couple of things here. One is 
pray. We want people, we want it to be a spiritual decision and not just a financial. Like, seek the Lord, what he wants you to do. What the Lord wants you to do is really what you want deep in your heart. That's what you want is to follow God's will. Jesus is Lord, and that's what we want you to do. And we say give to the, above and beyond the budget because the, we give our tithe to the budget. It wouldn't make sense to build a building and then not be able to pay the ministries that, that fill it or the, um, to pay the electric, the electric bill for it, that sort of thing. So the budget is how we do the missions and the ministry of our church. That's how we fulfill it. And that's where we, we all give to that. That's the starting place. If you don't give at all to the to FBCO, we'd encourage you to start there. And if you gave one dollar to the building program, beyond that, great. But some of us will give above and beyond our normal tie to the budget to the building program, whether it's a small amount or maybe God's blessed you in a way that you can give a substantial amount. And if he has, great. Use it for God's glory. We think that God gives us all that we have is his. He gives it to us for a reason, and we should leverage that for the kingdom. And I did say pray because I really do want it to be, like, we're not going to do, like, come to your home and say, hey, I'd rather not know really the details of your giving just personally, but seek the Lord. And there's something powerful about that when it comes to giving and seeking the Lord and what he wants you to do. Yeah, so the question is how to give. Yeah. Um, and so you can give really in all the normal ways that we give to the general fund. Um, so through our app, through our website, um, you can write a check, you can give cash, but the difference will be that you market building funds. So if you went on the app or you went on the website, when you get to that little drop down where normally you could see general fund and there's a few other options, you'll now be able to see building fund. I think you can even see it there today. So um, you'll be able to select building fund or if you dropped it off in person, uh, if it were a check, you could write building fund in the memo line or if, if it's cashed and put in an envelope. We're going to call it 12 stones building fund for a while at least just to connect it to this you know, Bible passage, but eventually just be building fund altogether. Yeah, because yeah, if, if they forget 12 stones, we'll still yeah. take yeah, it. Exactly. If they put, building, building if they put fund. 13 stones, That's right. then no, don't it'll do go to the same place. So, <laughs> um, so that, but then also you could do recurrent giving with this. So um, just like you, anyone could with uh, the general fund, if you set up your, your uh, payments to come out weekly, monthly, however you do it, you can do that with this as well. All right. Thank you, Obi, right. so much. I'm a, information yeah, meeting. Information oh, there's an information meeting. meeting when? Six o'clock tonight. Where? Tonight in the chapel. In the chapel. All right. Thank you, Obi. You did a good job, Obi. I wish he had done that well when he was my uh, research assistant, but he did a good job. You know, the, and he'll preach a great sermon next week. I'll give him a couple pointers. And, no, I won't. He'll, I, I love what God does here. It's kind of neat to see how God... Uh, like this uh, pastor on our staff now came from our church. God did that because of the prayers and work and ministries of our church in days gone by. I love what God's doing in our young adult ministry. So let me just say a word about this Joshua passage and your part. Really, it does need to be between you and the Lord. So I've always been... You've heard me tell the story, perhaps, if you've been here before, but I've always been sort of tight with money. It's like just the way I've been always, my, pers my personality and my background and experience. So God has often wanted to stretch my faith in giving because it's not for me, it was, it's not about money, it's about my relationship to God. So he just stretched me in some of these ways and he's helped me to learn this lesson of generosity. Some of you have learned that lesson easily. It's been a harder lesson for me, but the more God has stretched me in giving, encouraged me to give. The more I followed him, stepped out in faith, the more God has helped me to see generosity as a lifestyle and that everything I have is his 
and to try to see God's perspective and not the world's perspective in life. Now, I don't have to play your part. I don't have to do your part, but I do my part, and you do your part. Not my part, but yours. And God puts us all together for a reason. And so whatever you do for the next three years or part thereof, we're starting in November, by the way. Um, the next two weeks we'll have commitment cards in the pews. The next few weeks, several weeks, we'll have commitment cards in the pews in front of you. If you want to make a commitment, it's helpful for us to plan and that sort of thing, of course. But man, what a privilege it is for us to do our part. I, I sort of picture the Israelites getting to the edge of the Jordan and saying, man, God brought us a long way. How do we, how do we, I don't see how we do that without, without something unusual happening. And then God just does something unusual. He has us take a step of faith. We have to trust God and live by faith, but he does something unusual in life. And he helps us to see that he's trustworthy. How would you know he's trustworthy except that you trust him? And God teaches us to live by faith and to do our part and to leave a legacy behind. I've, gone, I've kind of gotten more sentimental in, uh, in these more recent years, and I find myself thinking about those who have gone before us and the sacrifices they've made and the spirit they had. And the, I mentioned some of the names and a lot more, a lot more than that. People that you won't know this side of eternity, but man, they cared about you and they thought about you long before you were ever here. I'm so thankful for people like that. And for men who would pick up a stone and put it on their shoulder and pile those 12 stones so that one day their kids would come back and their kids would say, Dad, what, what, what's this? What are these 12, 12 stones here? What's this, what's this mean? And Dad said, well, let me tell you, son. We saw God work. And we took a step of faith. And each tribe picked up a stone and would put it here so we'd remember God did something big. And we got to see it. Let's pray together. Hey, as we bow, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I know I didn't talk specifically about giving your life to Christ, but sometimes the Holy Spirit just, man, maybe God just said it. This is a big thing. This gospel message, a big thing. Right where you are, would you just acknowledge your sinfulness, your need for God? Would you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ? Christian, where you are right now with your head bowed, would you just say, God, help me to seek you on something like this? Not just to, but just to, not just to make a, just to make it a spiritual decision. To, God, what do you want? And to run my race well, to do my part, to pick up my stone. Father, I thank you for the great story of the, of the Israelites in this moment. I, I can't help but think about those generations to come who would stand before those markers and say, what do these stones mean to you? And listen as fathers and mothers and grandparents explain to their family members what those stones meant, how they'd seen you move, how they had trusted you, found you to be trustworthy. So help us in our generation to learn the lessons of the past and to live those things out for the future and to believe you for great things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.